Well, this morning we start a, a mini-series looking at the subject of Advent. And I do believe it's even more critical now that we look at this subject uh, because of the context we find ourselves in. We're in a hostile context. We're in a rough context, a war, of, particularly for hope. I don't know about you, but this is probably the hardest subject to talk about. Hope, you know. And uh, perhaps you've even felt a little bit foolish or vulnerable to talk about this hope in a context of hopelessness, you know. Uh, when we talk about Advent, we're talking about two things at the same time. On one hand, we're talking about something that happened in the past, right? Jesus came, He was born, He lived, He died on a cross for our sins, and rose again. We look back to that story, and it does our hearts good to recalibrate what has happened. Amen. That is absolute truth, what God has done for us. And we're looking back at that. But Advent is also looking forward. It's looking towards this risen one coming again. So there's a past aspect and a future aspect, and that also recalibrates our hearts. Because what would mobilize us if we were just looking at the past? Advent helps us to look forward. Jesus wants us to look forward to. We know how the game ends. We know where the church lands. I'm just going through all these flick flacks at the moment. And it's looking pretty vulnerable, pretty spectacular, pretty whatever. But it's going to land. And we know how that lands. So there's a future aspect, a waiting, a patient waiting, in which we now, in a sense, share with all the saints, a waiting for this Redeemer. Awaiting this, two aspects come. But talking about this hope right now, if I'm honest, is very, very difficult. Very difficult. We have kids here. Uh, you know, my daughter is now 11, almost turning 12. She has lived through stuff over the last four or five years that I didn't live through before I was 12. Mm -hmm. You know, it's crazy. What our kids have had to get through these last few years. It's amazing. I don't know, but the, the news feed, my news feed anyway, it's not very positive. <laughs> it's not positive. And the news sayers, uh, I don't know if you have a news feed that says you, you've got something to look forward to in the next three months. You can't wait. Can't wait. 2023 is going to be the year. Any, any news feed? Please share it with me. Okay. It's more like, 2023, God help me. <laughs> Am I going to get through 2020? I can't wait to get through 2023. I can't wait to get away from 2023. Or, or, or I can't wait to go back to 2012. You know, maybe that's where you're landing. So, it's even more crucial now that we come together and look at this that's happened and look at this, what we're called to going forward. It's more crucial now that we be anchored with the truth today for our own sake, but 
for the sake of others. Friends, we exist as a family for the sake that are not in yet. Amen? So it's critical we get recalibrated and look at this, and particularly the hope that Advent touches on, and focus our hearts on that. It is good for our hearts to recalibrate and say, hey, guess what? You exist not for yourself. This truth recalibrates our hearts to say, you exist for the glory of God. In Him, with Him, through Him, to Him be glory forever and ever. And that is good for our hearts to be recalibrated, especially in this season when it's just about me, me, me. Amen? Even if it's in a negative context, survival, the next thing, the next thing, i got to live, crisis, the next crisis, the next crisis. Friends, positive or negative, it is good for our hearts to be recalibrated by the truth of God. Amen. That we live for a greater purpose. A greater purpose. It is good for our hearts to join in. We need good company with those saints who wait for a redeemer. It's good for our hearts. It is the fruit of the Spirit to be patient. It's the fruit of the Spirit to be patient. And when we wait patiently, when we demonstrate an anchoring on this hope, a looking to this hope, a holding on to this hope, and a faith in this hope, we are demonstrating to those that watch the promises and the power of God. And by not holding on to this truth, we eclipse that. We shadow it. We mitigate it. We hide that light in a bush. So it's good for us to look at this, particularly this hard topic of hope. And it is so hard because generally people are not hopeful or hopeful, you know, generally speaking. You know that there's actually now a, 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 a thing called, um, let me get it straight here, age regression. Kids, before the pandemic, who were potty trained, have now regressed. They've they got to learn again. We've got four and five-year-olds at the preschool who are not potty trained. You know? I know? Yeah. A handful. <laughs> um, there's... The kids that could talk now have regressed. They can't talk. Some, something's happened. There's been some trauma. There's been some crisis in these kids' lives. Um, we have tensions even as, as adults. And we have varying degrees of hopelessness. You have clinical hopelessness in clinical depression. You know, And I know there are various degrees of hopelessness and shades of it. But that's a reality. How on earth are we going to create this hope in that context and, uh, and avoid this peril of hopelessness? How do you know if your heart, if your own heart, has fallen into this condition? I know how my heart, if, if I know my own heart, and I know it's in a hopeless state when I'm doing two things. I'm doing one, but it's affecting another thing. The one is... I become obsessive about this one thing or wanting to control this one thing or wanting to have this or that. It becomes all about that moment, that thing, or, or that matter, or that. It becomes obsessive about that instead of 
obsessive and anchored in the truth of what God has done. And you know, when you become obsessed about um, having this to feel better, eating this to feel better, or to have control of this and then to feel better, you've actually isolated you. You shrunk yourself. You shrink your life to the next thing and only the next thing to feel better instead of seeing the bigger picture. That's when I know my heart is in a state of hopelessness. So what does the Bible say for us? This Christmas, and a member's study, going into 2023, well, turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Okay, while you get your Bibles there, I'll just give you a quick context. Peter is writing a letter to people who have suffered an incredible loss. An incredible loss. Jerusalem has fallen. Rome came in and said, sorry, we've had enough. We're taking all your stuff and we're shipping it to Rome. Okay? We've had enough. And you know, I mean, you, even the Colosseum, just Google it. What built the Colosseum was loot from Jerusalem and Jerusalem's temple. That's what built the Colosseum, right? And we're in a context where people are not career-based. You know, that's not their... They don't leverage any economy with their career. They, they leverage their economy on what the family has built. So if it's agriculture and the legacy of the family, then that land, that product is their economy. It's agriculture, it's a trade, it's a skill, but it's all family-based. If it's an inheritance... You know, that goes forward, that helps the, the benefactors, the parents, and it helps the children. It's that kind of economy. So when Rome comes in and says, sorry, we've had enough, we're shipping it to Rome, it's all gone. They, they have nothing. They're completely lost. No home, no land, no economy to leverage, nothing. It's this kind of people that Peter is writing to. And try and put yourself into that, that group and they've left Jerusalem. They're now exiles. They're exiles. Okay? I mean, how do you pick up after such a deep and big loss? And it's to them that he writes in 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. I'm just going to highlight the immediate contrast between two words. And that is, verse 1, God's elect, or maybe your Bible says chosen, comma, Exiles, or maybe your Bible says foreigners. Elect exiles. That is a contrast. Okay, those, how do those two come together? Peter is saying, yes, I see the gravity of your situation. You are exiles, you are foreigners. Rome said we don't want you. But I also see that God has elected you. God has chosen you. You are an elect exile. Note the order. Note the order. This is our first step to having this hope 
now and for next year and for whatever comes ahead the next few weeks. All right? So don't miss this. That you are first. You are a chosen people. That's what you are first. You center your identity on this. That you are an elect of God. Then you are an exile. So wherever you are, if it's a hustling parent, you are an elect hustling parent. If you are a grandparent, you are an elect grandparent. If you're a lonely grandparent, because your kids are scattered all over the world, you are an elect grandparent, lonely grandparent. You with me? Whatever your status, if you're divorced, you are a chosen divorcee. If you're single, you're a chosen single person. Get the identity square and straight. This is the first step, the first way to having this living hope. Living hope. That's where it starts now. It's just getting our identity square. We say all sorts of things about ourselves. And we incorporate that into our identity. Some positive, some negative. We take stuff from what other people say about us. Some positive, some negative, And we form an identity. But the Bible says to you and I that your identity starts with God. In Christ Jesus, you are elect, chosen, His before you are all those other things. So we have to get this centered because there's no ways of having this hope that's going to transcend all these trials if you're not centered and square with your identity in God. And I know we're all in flux. We're in flux. There's stuff we want, we can't have it, and we have to wait for it. There's goals we're, we're, we're planning for, we're working hard towards, and we're not there yet. And you can get caught up into this flux and lose yourself. Understand this, friends, first. If you are in Christ, you are God's elect. God, and that governs all your identity. Where you are, how you are, who you are, what you have, and what you don't have. It's all en encompassed by that umbrella statement. You are first an elect of God. Did you forget? Did you forget? You'll know if you've forgotten by the way you're reacting to what people are saying or not saying or what you're getting or what you're not getting or where you are and where you're not are. How are you reacting to that will tell you if you've lost sight of what governs that. So let our hearts be realigned to this identity. You are not just a lonely grandparent. You are a chosen lonely grandparent. You're not just a retired person. You're a chosen retired person. Elect exile. And that changes everything. Amen? That changes everything. Okay. So you have fundamentally let go of what other people have said about you or what you say about yourself, positive and negative, and you take hold of what you are in God. You've taken hold of that. 
But Peter is not finished. You've centered your identity. He goes on in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. I've done an expositional series on 1 Peter. I can give it to you. We're not going to unpack everything here. We're going to take hold of the next thing. Centering our identity in elect. What do we have in God, specifically, this is where it gets into focus, in Jesus Christ. What do we have? A living hope. Centering your identity in God, specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, you have now locked into a living hope. A living hope. A biblical living hope. You remember now? Compared to the hope the world offers, which we, const- we constantly get tempted by, fooled by, and forego God's blessings, you know, that our hope is well, wishful thinking. I hope maybe someone will come and rescue me, and or someone will come and save me, or, or fix this, or do that. You know, there's that wishful thinking, maybe, maybe next year. You know, and that's what they base their hope on. There's some Wishful thinking. Friends, hope in the Bible is locked. It's locked onto a solid, absolute rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is a living hope. That is a dead hope. It is a static hope. Your hope in Christ Jesus is a living hope. It's dynamic. It lives. It lives. Amen? And Peter ties the two together. Centering your identity in Jesus Christ, you have then a living hope in Jesus Christ. And because you are elect, and because you have this living hope, you can transcend whatever the circumstances. This hope rises above all that is, and all that you don't know or don't have, What is said or what is unsaid, Peter ties the two together. You have left that hope. (coughs) You trying to control everything. You trying to fix it. You trying to handle your life. You basing your hope on your experiences, your stuff, your legacy. You've left that hope. It's a dead hope. You've put your hope on this one, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a living hope. And because it's in Jesus Christ, it cannot die. The most precious resource to me, anyway, is every morning that His mercies are new. That is precious to me. That gets me through everything. Everything. (laughs) Whatever comes my way. I'm anchored by the mercies every day. Amen? That is for me. No matter how far the person is from God, there is always hope. No matter how damaging or deep or severe the sin, there is always hope for forgiveness. 
No matter how long the night, there is always hope for the morning. Why? Because I'm not basing it on wishful thinking. I'm not basing it on my past experiences or my knowledge. I'm not basing it on what other people have said. I'm basing it on, it's locked on this Jesus Christ, the living hope. And because He lives, I live. Because He's forgiven, I'm forgiven. Because He is righteousness, I am righteousness. Because He is close to the Father, I am close to the Father. And because He reigns, I reign. And because He's victorious, I'm victorious. Amen? Because He's alive, I'm alive. Can you see it clearly, friends? We've forgotten. And you forget. If you're white-knuckled and looking at this a little bit too much, you've forgotten. You've forgotten. That's not your hope. doesn't matter what the exchange rate is. doesn't matter how many dollars at Fala Fala. doesn't matter what political party. Doesn't. My hope is anchored in this living hope. And it transcends that. Because Jesus is love. Paul put it this way, For we know that since Christ is raised, He cannot die again. And we have been raised with Him and have an imperishable hope. Christian, did you forget what you have? Merry Christmas. Amen. That's what you have. Who cares what's under the tree? We've got Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bonus or no bonus? We've got Jesus. Client or no client? Power or no power? <laughs> We've got Jesus. <laughs> grandkids or no grandkids? Kids or no kids? We've got Jesus. We've got Jesus. And then lastly, verses 6 to 9. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Help me, God. For you are receiving the endless result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's the testimony of these people. What is the report back to Peter? They've lost everything. Their identity is gone. Literally. And Peter is saying, yes, I know, I know, I know. I'm not pretending it's not a problem. I'm not wiping away the grief. I'm not pole vaulting it and ignoring it. I'm not just giving you positive thinking. I know, I know, I know. But their testimony is, what? In all this, you greatly, what's the word? Rejoice. Rejoice. You are rejoicing. How are they so filled with joy? How are they so filled with hope? Friends, that is the possibility for all those anchored to this table. Amen. That is the reality for all those in Christ Jesus. That kind of rejoicing, that kind of hope that transcends these trials. That's what I want. Help me, God. That's what we want. And that's what we proclaim to those out there 
in the sea of hopelessness, who are regressing, who are depressed, who are hopeless. That's what we proclaim. That this is a super reality. In fact, this is reality. This is not reality. This is a vapor. This is temporary. This is a wind. This is reality. A rejoicing, a glory, a hope, an identity in this one. In this one. Having this hope does good things for our heart. It purifies our heart. It purifies our faith. And it helps us church together to transcend these trials. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, what a wonderful perspective. This is not all that there is. Amen? This is not all that there is. Light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, I would say we fight, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. You made that choice today to keep looking at the eternal. So, does that mean we're not going to talk about problems, share our griefs? Did I just contradict myself? Because earlier I said, if you have any prayer requests, please. No. This is the place. These are the people. This is the God that says, bring it. Bring me your complaints. Bring me your troubles. Bring me your griefs and your burdens. And you come and you share. Of course you share. We don't pretend it doesn't exist. We don't pole vault them. We don't speak positive thinking. We face it square. We even look at death squarely. We look at it squarely. So we acknowledge that. That's our theme, eh? That's our ethos. Real people. Meeting a real God. Meeting real needs. We do that. You come. You share. You share. And we pray. But then does it end there? No. You hear God's word. You hear God's word. And you ask the question, what does that teach me about Jesus? What does that teach me about myself? What does that teach me about my circumstances? And what does the word do? The word provides hope. The word provides hope. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. So come and share. Come and talk. But come and listen. Come and listen because this is how we have this hope that transcends all our troubles. This is how we have hope and we will walk on the water. This is how we will have hope and by God's grace we will demonstrate God's purposes and God's power. How do we know all these people in the Bible like Moses and Daniel and Paul and Isaiah? How do we know them? We know them because of all the troubles. Many troubles. Deep troubles. But what did those troubles demonstrate? The power of God. Did they not? The provision of God. The glory of God. The miracle, life-changing power of God. Through troubles. Paul said, 
You will enter the kingdom of God through trials. Through trials, you will enter the kingdom of God. So it's, it's not a contradiction. This is how we enter the kingdom of God, is through these trials. These are opportunities. And so, friends, as the body is stressed and gets stronger, so as the body is stressed, we serve better. We serve better. And we demonstrate that God is dependable, God is trustworthy, God is valuable. You demonstrate that. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's anchor our hope there, everybody, this Advent, this Christmas. And let's trust God and see what He does in us, with us, and for us. Amen? Let's pray together. I've just written a prayer for us. Dear God, in this season of trial, we ask for your strength to bring hopefulness into the lives once more. We are not able to get through the storm on our own. We need you, God, to strengthen our spirits and our minds to overcome these challenges because we are weak. But we take heart and we know that in our weaknesses you are made perfect. Every day you are my strength. I depend on you every hour and every night. Only you can calm my anxiety and give peace to my heart and still my racing mind. Lord Jesus, help us to center on you. Let not one day go without us first declaring that we are first elect. Then we are and focusing, always focusing, on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the living hope. And as we center on you and focus on this hope, Lord Jesus, would our light shine? Would it display your promises, your love, your power to this hopeless, dying, frantic, chaotic, divided world? <laughs> Amen. Thank you, friends. Okay, we're going to end the service with a bit of a dance, with the first song that we did this very morning. Okay, and I hope it's catchy, and you'll know it even better for next week. All right, let's stand together and sing.